I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is not a shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, he has bought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was trying to tell them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep, and whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good herd lays down his life for the sheep. The, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters it. The man runs away because he is, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep, of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock, one shepherd. The reason my father's love loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is a demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him but others said they are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem it was winter and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade the Jews gathered around him saying how long will you keep us in suspense if you are Christ tell us plainly Jesus answered I did tell you, but you did not believe me. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from out of my father's hand. And I and the father and I are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, 
because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in the law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word God came, the scripture cannot be broken. What about the ones who, whom the Father set apart at his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I have said, I am my God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back to Jordan, to, to the place where John has been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed and many people came to him. They said, Through John never, though John never performed a miracle, miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in the place, many believed in Jesus. So let's just bow in prayer now. Father, we want to thank you for your word and we pray that uh, as we consider your word that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would uh, hear what you have to say and we would obey. We pray also, Father God, for all of the children who are in Sunday school at the moment. We pray for their teachers, that they would uh, uh, speak your word in a way which is clear and engaging. And we pray for our young ones, that the seed that is sown in their lives this morning uh, would bear uh, much fruit in the years to come. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes Cassie and I and the kids go back to Inverell. And one of the things that I especially love about driving from here to Inverell is uh, just to what you experience just before you get into Walker. I'm not talking about the hairpin curves. Uh, can you guess what it is that I really enjoy about that trip without looking at your outlines? I enjoy sheep. Uh, we don't get them here on the coast, do we? Apparently they get foot rot uh, this side of the mountain range. But when you get over the range and you look out over what I think is called the Yarrowitch Valley, if I'm not mistaken, and you, you look down and there's just past your land and there's uh, mobs of sheep and you know that you've arrived. You know you're in a different place. It is the classic picture of Australian country life, a mob of sheep. It's also a classic picture of ordinary life in Bible times. Uh, there are a lot of stories in the Bible about sheep and shepherds. It's no wonder that that is the case because in Bible times uh, that was part of life. It was very common for families to own a small flock of sheep. Uh, they did so for a number of reasons, obviously because of wool and meat and sheep were used for sacrifices. Uh, also they didn't have banks in those days and so a good way of actually holding your wealth was to invest your, uh, uh, your wealth into uh, livestock, uh, sheep and cattle and so on. And sometimes uh, families would look after their sheep themselves. Uh, there's a classic example of that in the Bible, isn't it, of a young boy who looked after his family's flock of sheep. Who was that? That was 
David so that when Samuel went to David's father Jesse and said, show me all of your sons because the Lord is, an, is going to anoint one as the king and he showed him all of his sons except one and said, neither of them, is there any other son? Yeah, there's David, but he's out there looking after the sheep. Bring him in. Sometimes shepherd, uh, families would hire shepherds to look after their sheep. Uh, the role of a shepherd was primarily twofold. Firstly, to feed the sheep by leading the sheep to good pasture. And secondly, to protect the sheep from uh, predators, from wolves, and, and also from thieves and robbers. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that sometimes we can have a sort of a kind of a romanticised, uh, dare I say, sanitised view of shepherds in the Bible. Uh, I think that that comes from the fact that they are so often portrayed in Christmas cards and nativity scenes and that sort of thing. But uh, it was actually not a very good job. It was dangerous. It was uncomfortable. Shepherds would often have to sleep out uh, with the sheep under the stars at night. And that sounds very romantic, except for the fact that you know, in, in cold and in winter time and when it's inclement and so on. And they, it was a lowly occupation. It was rough, it was dirty, it was dangerous, it was uncomfortable. Uh, shepherds were people who were low-class people. Uh, they were sometimes looked down upon. But it was a normal part of life. And so Jesus is the master of taking ordinary pictures of life and using those pictures to teach spiritual truths, which is what he does here in John chapter 10, which you might want to have open in front of you. Because here he uh, takes this common picture of sheep and shepherds, and he uses that picture to teach to his hearers great truths, uh, vital truths about himself, about them, and by extension about you and me, those of us who are here today. Now, you might remember the scene from last week, John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. And uh, we finished off John chapter 9 where Jesus is in a conversation with the Jewish religious leaders. They had rejected Jesus. And we just learnt that they had rejected the man who was born blind. Remember what they said to him? How dare you lecture us? You were steeped in sin at your birth. And then they kicked him out. Remember that? How a lovely way of treating the man who was just healed. And so Jesus now carries on the conversation. And in, ver in, in chapter, one, verse 10, uh, chapter 10 verse 1 he talks about a sheep pen. Now, before we get into that, let me just say a few words about sheep pens uh, in biblical times. Um, apparently, uh, often at night, when uh, the shepherds were not a long way away from uh, built-up places, uh, they would uh, they would they would uh, herd their or, or they would move their sheep into these sheep pens, uh, and a pen. It's not like the kind of pens that we would have. A pen had had high, solid walls around it, 
uh, generally didn't have a roof, well it didn't have a roof over it, uh, it had a, a gate, one gate, and it had a gatekeeper. And so it gave some protection from the worst of the elements, but its main purpose was to keep the sheep protected, uh, protected the, from thieves who would come in to try to rob it because the sheep's worth a bit of money, uh, and to protect the sheep from the predators such as the wolves and so on. And so that's the picture. And in verses 1 to 6, Jesus talks about a sheep pen and he talks about two very different men who might potentially be inside the sheep pen. Have a look at it, verses 1 and 2. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Uh, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. So there you go, there's two different people. Uh, there's one guy who's kind of come in the wrong way, he's climbed over the, over the wall and he's a thief and there's another man who's pictured who is a shepherd. But check out verses 3 to 6 because there we're told that the sheep actually know, they know who is who. Uh, they know uh, which one is the shepherd and which one is the thief. Now, this is a difficulty for Australians because of our view of sheep. Um, what sort of intellectual rating do we give sheep generally? We consider them to be fairly dumb animals, don't we? Um, and, and we treat them as, as dumb animals. Uh, when we want to move sheep, how do we do it? We send in the dogs, don't we? The sheep dogs, the kelpies, and you know, and they kind of run up behind them, and they kind of snap at their feet and scare the sheep, and the sheep kind of move in the direction. They, we 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 push the sheep. That's how we we move them. We push them by frightening them with dogs. But in the Middle East, it is actually not like that. They do shepherding differently. Uh, there, a shepherd would generally have responsibility for a small number of sheep. Even if the flock was a big flock, they'd have many shepherds who would look after the sheep. A shepherd would look after a small number of sheep and he would get to know the sheep individually. And they would get to know him. Uh, they would get to know his voice. And they would follow him. Apparently this is still true uh, in modern times in parts of the Middle East. I read one account uh, yesterday of uh, a person who'd been travelling in the Middle East and was not far outside of Bethlehem and had uh, seen some shepherds with uh, two flocks of sheep who they kept with them in a cave overnight, uh, all mixed up. And in the morning... Uh, the shepherds came out of the cave and called their sheep and uh, incredibly, to an Australian, uh, the sheep came out one by one and each went to their particular shepherd. And that's handy. It was handy uh, back in Jesus' day because often more than one shepherd would have his sheep inside the sheep pen and of course they would all be mixed up but the shepherd would only have to stand outside of the sheep pen 
and call his sheep and they would come to him. And so in Jesus' um, parable, there are two men in this sheep pen. Uh, one is a thief, one is a shepherd. They both want the sheep, but who will the sheep follow? They will follow the one whose voice they recognise. They will follow their master. They will follow their shepherd. Now, friends, in the Bible, the concept of, of sheep and a shepherd is used by God to describe the relationship that God has with his people Israel. Uh, in the Bible, Israel is God's flock of sheep. Uh, God is the chief shepherd, but God appoints under-shepherds to take care of his sheep. And those under-shepherds were the religious leaders, the priests and the prophets, and indeed the kings. Their role was to take care of God's people spiritually, to feed them spiritually, to lead them to the truth of God and to protect them, to protect them from false worship, from idolatry, from those things which would take them away from God. That was the role of Israel's leaders. They were the shepherds, Israel were the sheep. And so in this particular situation where Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders, there is also a sheep there, a blind man who's just been healed, an Israelite who's just been given his sight. And the Pharisees would, would like him to follow them but who does he follow? He follows the one whose voice he recognises. He follows his master's voice. When he was blind, he heard the voice of Jesus when Jesus told him to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash his, the mud off his eyes and he followed that voice. He followed Jesus. And so it's quite pointed what is actually going on here in this as Jesus speaks to the, the religious leaders. Because implicit is what, in what he's saying is that they, in fact, although supposed to be the shepherds of God's people, have not been shepherding God's people. But more than that, he's equating them with the thieves and the robbers. But they didn't quite get it. Have a look at verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. And so what happens then is Jesus then says, well, let me kind of spell it out for you. Let me expand on this a little bit. And in verses 7 through to 10, continuing on the, uh, on the, on the parable of the sheep pen, Jesus says, I am the gate. Now, the gate, uh, the sheep go in through the gate for protection of ni at night. They go out from the gate in the daytime in order to be fed. Verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be, what does it say? Saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, what kind of pasture 
is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's not really talking about grass, is he? That's the physical illustration of what he's saying. What he's saying is that if, 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 if they pass through the gate, then they will pass into eternal life. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, how is it then that Jesus is the gateway to life? Well, he expands on that. And in verses 11 through to 18, he paints another picture, and it's the picture of two different kinds of shepherds. Uh, There is, on the one hand, the good shepherd. On the other hand, there is the hired hand. Now, if anyone who's in business, and it stands to reason even for those of us who are not in business, that if you own a business, then you're going to take a whole lot more care of that business than the person who you put on the staff. Is that right? Uh, you, You know, it's the owner of the business who goes home at night worrying about the business. It's the owner of the business who goes home with the financial records and trying to sort all of that out. It's the owner of the business who doesn't clock on at nine o'clock and clock off at five o'clock. Uh, he's the one, who, or she's the one, who looks after the, uh, the premises, the, the, the stock, the services, the customers, the finance, and carries all of the responsibility. Well, it's the same with shepherding. It's the same with shepherding. See, what, what happens if the flock is being eyed out by a few hungry wolves? What happens? Well, it depends on what kind of shepherd's looking after the, sh- after the flock, doesn't it? If the shepherd is a hired hand, if he's uh, the guy that picks up his wage at the end of the day, then well, he's not going to risk his life, is he? I mean, why would he? Why would you risk your life for a few bucks? Verses 12 and 13. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it but if the shepherd is the one who owns the sheep or if he's the son of the father who owns the sheep and he sees the the wolves encircling what's he going to do he's going to do everything within his power to be faithful to his father and to protect the sheep now that of course is um we saw, saw that we see that in david don't we uh, how do you think David got the slingshot skills that he needed in order to uh, you know, hit Goliath in the head? Well, he'd been practising on wolves and other beasts of, that uh, liked eating sheep. <clears throat> and so that's what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd takes care of his father's sheep. Now, let's move on. Okay. In verses 11 through to 18, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, In verses 11 through to 18, Jesus says something very important about his attitude towards the sheep. Five times he says, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
But more than that, uh, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this. He says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, think about that. The religious leaders whom Jesus is speaking to, we know that they wanted him dead, didn't they? They kept on trying to seize him, to arrest him, so that they could put him to death. Sometimes they just picked up stones ready to kill him, but he slipped away. We know that they wanted him to be dead, but here he's saying, I lay down my life voluntarily. I will die, and I will do it of my own accord. But not only that, I will also take up my life again. And why? So that the sheep may have life. Now, at that point, the crowd is kind of divided. Uh, If you have a look at verse 19, you see that there are some people who say, well, this guy's a nutter. Uh, He is stark, raving, mad. He's crazy. I mean, what's he saying? He's kind of implying that he's going to kill himself, that he's going to give up his own life deliberately and that he's got authority to do that. And then he's saying that he's going to take up his life again and that he's got authority. He's he's crazy. He's weird. Uh, Why listen to him? He's demon-possessed. That's what one group of people thought about what he was saying. On the other hand, there are others who are saying, hang on a moment, it's not quite as simple as that. Because look who's standing here. There is a man who was blind, but now he's healed. There's something in this man, Jesus, that we need to not write him off. And so what started off as a story about some woolly sheep in a sheep pen has now split the Jewish religious leaders. They don't know what to make of Jesus, and their question remains, who is this man? Now, I don't know if, if you know very much about modern Judaism, um, but you may have Jewish friends and you may uh, know that around Christmas time each year that your Jewish friends have a celebration of their own, don't they? Does anyone know what that's called? Hanukkah, that's right, yeah. Uh, Jewish people celebrate a feast called Hanukkah Uh, And it's in December, it's around Christmas time. Um, It's not a feast that was established in the Old Testament, but we do see it in the New Testament. And the reason for that is that it's because it was established in the intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, it's uh, got to do when there was a, a revolt against the oppressors and the temple uh, was rededicated. In verse 22, it is called the Feast of Dedication. So from verse 21 to verse 22, there's kind of like a fast forward of a few months. And it is now the Feast of Dedication. It is now Hanukkah. Um, Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Uh, He is at the temple, as many others would have been, for the Feast of Dedication. The temple area is crowded. Uh, it's winter time. You note that uh, John says that Jesus was walking along the 
um, Solomon's colonnade part of the temple. Well, that's actually the sunny side of the temple, which would make sense given that it's pretty cold in Jerusalem in the middle of winter. And again, Jesus is the centre of attraction. A crowd of Jews gathered around Jesus and they asked him again about his identity. Verse 24. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. What do you think of that, by the way? They're saying, look, we're not, you haven't been clear with us as to whether you're the Christ or not. And Jesus says, well, now hang on, I have told you. Problem is that you didn't believe. Uh, in what sense has Jesus told them about his identity, that, they should actually, that it should be clear to them? Well, think back at uh, what we've looked at over the last few weeks uh, as we've looked at John, John's Gospel. In chapter 6 of John... Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Remember that? Chapter 7, he says, I am the water of life. Uh, chapter 8, he says, I am the light of life. In chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Recalling the conversation between Moses and, and God at the burning bush. When Moses says to God, when I go back to Egypt, who shall I say has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am has sent them. Remember they actually tried to stone Jesus? Why would they want to stone him? Because they thought that he was saying that he was God. Okay. Uh, in chapter 7, Jesus kept on claiming that he had come from the Father and that he would return to the Father. Uh, in chapter 8, he referred to himself as being the son of man. Now that is something which is very familiar to, to Jews because it, uh, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel's vision in chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, when Daniel says that I saw one like a son of man coming in the clouds to the ancient of days... That is, I saw the Son of Man actually ascending to heaven and in heaven that he was crowned and he was honoured. He was given all power and all authority and all dominion to rule over the universe. And in uh, John 8, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up, referring to himself. Now, they didn't get it. In verse 24, they're still saying, hey, um, when are you going to make it clear to us who you are? <laughs> Tell us plainly so we can understand. And Jesus says, well, I have told you already. The problem is that you don't want to know about it. You just don't want to believe. And, and then he says, well, you know, what about the miracles, by the way? I mean, why did Jesus perform miracles? Well, he had compassion on people, yes. But more than that, more than that, the miracles tell us who Jesus is. The miracles fulfil the prophecies of the Old Testament, such as Isaiah 35. The miracles tell us that with the coming of this one, that the effects of sin 
will be reversed. That the lame people will be leaping for joy. That uh, those who cannot hear, the deaf will be able to hear. And that a man born blind will have his eyes open and will be able to see. Jesus says, what about the miracles? But no, no. In verse 31, this conversation turns nasty. Let's go to that, verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Touch of sarcasm. We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, think about that. A few moments ago, they're saying, hey, we're not quite sure whether you've actually said that you're the Christ or not. So could you please make it plain for us? And now they're ready to kill him because they reckon he's just claimed that he's actually God. You know, why the dramatic change in their thinking? Well, it's all about sheep. Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, You want a clearer statement than that? I had a uh, knock on the door on Tuesday morning. Um, Opened the door. There's a couple of fellows standing there, wanted to have a chat with me. Uh, can you guess who they were? Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses? It's one of the two. Well, these guys were not wearing suits, so they, are, they were J-dubs. Okay. And we had an interesting discussion. Uh, they probably won't come back uh, in a short period of time. Uh, uh, now, Jehovah's Witnesses... They say that Jesus is not God. They say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, They say that Jesus is in fact a created being. That uh, God at some point made Jesus, created Jesus. He's higher than you and me. He's higher than angels. Uh, He is a God, lowercase g. Uh, He is a created being. So I wonder what they would make of a verse like this, where he says, I and the Father are one. Uh, Or in verse 38, if you look at that, where he says that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. What would they make of that? My guess is that what they would say is that Jesus is not claiming to be God, uh, but rather that Jesus is claiming to be uh, like God, that, that he's kind of like of one mind, with God the Father, that he thinks like God the Father, that uh, he has the same purposes as God the Father, and so on. But that's not how the Jews understood what Jesus was saying. Because they wouldn't stone him for that, would they? I mean, uh, you would want to be a person who has the same mind as God the Father. Uh, Is it your desire to have the same mind as God? Is it your desire to be united with God in terms of the way that you think, 
and, uh, and, and your, your plans and your purposes? Of course it should be. Uh, you don't stone someone. The Jews wouldn't stone someone for something like that. No, the Jews tried to stone him because in verse 33, what did, he say? What did they say? You, a mere man, claim to be God. That's an extraordinary claim. To them, it's a blasphemous claim. Uh, in verses 34 to 36, by the way, Jesus points out to them that in Psalm 82, that uh, God referred to the unjust judges of Israel as being gods, uh, in the sense that they uh, were the under-shepherds, that they actually had the responsibility uh, to judge God's people and to lead them fairly and righteously, um, but they failed to do so. And if it's right that they should be called gods, then how much more so that Jesus, the Christ, should be referred to as the Son of God. Now, what's the big message then of John chapter 10? Well, let's review it. Jesus has claimed three things. Uh, he claimed to be God. He claimed that he is the one who has existed for all of eternity. Um, listen to what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus. Could we come with me for a moment or two to Colossians chapter 1? Uh, you'll find that um, page 833 is one of many passages that I could pick to illustrate the point. It's a good one. Chap uh, Colossians 1 verses 15 and 16. This is what Paul says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, that's profound when you think about it, isn't it? Because if God is invisible and Jesus is the visible image of one who is invisible, then what does that make Jesus? To be the visible image of God, you'd have to be God. Unless there's two gods, right? saying that he's God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Now, that doesn't mean that he is one who has been created by God the Father, as the J-dubs would have us believe. It means that he is the one who is the heir. He is the inheritor of all that the Father has. For by him all things were created... Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus is the creator of the universe. But more than that, he is the heir of the universe. All things have been created by him and for him. And so, who are we dealing with here? We are dealing with God the Son. God is three persons. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. The three persons each have, a, have a, uh, their own identity and each have their own role. God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son 
gives honour and glory and obeys God the Father. God the Son sends God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit turns the hearts and the minds of men and women to worship and love and adore God the Son. One God, three persons. Friends, this was not a case of Jesus, a mere man, making himself to be God. This is a case of God becoming man. God the Son came into this world not as a thief like the Pharisees, but as a shepherd. Not as a hired shepherd who scatters the flock, but as a good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the fact that Jesus is God is in fact critical for salvation. Uh, the fact that Jesus is God is the only reason that his death on the cross is sufficient to pay not only for your sins or for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world for all time. He is God. Uh, you see, the death of an ordinary person wouldn't even pay for their own sins. The death of a person who was perfectly righteous might pay for the sins of one other. But to pay for the sins of all of humanity, for every sin that's ever been committed, that requires something qualitatively different. And the only sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world is the sacrifice of God himself. Jesus is God. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he is the gate. Uh, there are people who say, oh, there are many ways that you can get to God. Um, you know, Jesus is one of those ways, but there's a few other different ways. Um, you know, all roads lead to God and we shouldn't be so exclusive or so judgmental. No, that's, that is not correct. That is not correct. Since Jesus is God and since it was necessary for God's, God the Son to die in order to pay for sin, then it can only be the case that he is the only way. If there was any other way that men and women could get to God, then God the Father would not have sent God the Son to die on a cross. He is the only way because his death is the sufficient payment for sin. He is the gate. And he has come so that we might have life and have it to the full. Eternal life. Forgiven life. And so the question therefore is, are you one of Jesus' sheep? Do you trust him as the good shepherd who's laid down his life for you? Do you follow him as the one who loves you? If not, then you need to change that situation and do so urgently. If so, then you have much to be thankful to God for and you can have assurance and comfort uh, 
in this life and in the next. Uh, For he's not only one who's laid down his life so that you can have eternal life, but he's the one who cares for you infinitely more than you can possibly imagine. I know that there's a song that's been uh, sung in churches over the last 15 years or so that has lyrics that go something like, through all of the difficulties and the problems and the trials and the ups and the downs of life, Lord, you know, I will never let you go. And I understand the sentiment of that, but it's wrong. Uh, reality is, and we see it in, uh, in this passage, in verse uh, 28 and 29, that it's through all of the troubles, all of the difficulties, all of the ups and downs, all of the problems, all of the things that life throws at us, that God will never let us go, that Jesus will never allow us to be snatched from his hand, that we need to be people who follow his voice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. We pray that we would be people who do follow his voice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.